Welcome to the Sobriety Sucks podcast, a show about recovery and how it isn't always pink clouds and rainbows. Today, I am sitting here with Carter. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, I'm uh, Carter, 23, um, and my drug of choice is alcohol and cocaine. Cool. So you want to start with a little bit of your story, like where you got started out? Yeah, sure. I guess, you know, my story really starts out... um, Through this whole process, obviously everyone's story starts out different. It starts out at different times. But I guess, you know, where mine really started was, we'll say, uh, we'll say going into high school. Um, I guess, you know, when everything first started really coming about, uh, as a kid growing up, I had, and still do, really bad anxiety. Um, I can get excited really easily, which kind of turns into this full-fledged almost attack um you know my mom made fun of me growing up that if there was a uh, you know party i was going to as a kid that i would get so excited about going to this kid's birthday party that i would almost want to throw up <laughs> yeah. so you know i really struggled with it and it was just different things like that if i felt uncomfortable in a big situation or we were going to you know say i was a going to a movie or even, you know, going into college, if I had to, you know, it was the first day of classes, I had to, you know, kind of sit near the door in the back just in case, like, I, something, you know, catastrophic came about. But, you know, back to high school, uh, really, I was like any other high school kid. I played sports, was very, very active in sports. My addiction really didn't arise until around... Uh, we'll say sophomore year, uh, sophomore year. Um, I became, you know, I was still very active in sports, but I had a lot of friends and not just from my high school. It was from different high schools surrounding the area. So it was, you know, I had this big, I guess, pot of different kinds and types of friends. You know, we started drinking on the weekends. Uh, that's when I was first introduced to pot. I really actually started smoking pot a lot in my sophomore year. I don't know why. I think it was the people I was hanging around at the time. Um, that was kind of their DOC. That's really what we did. I mean, we'd have, you know, steal a few beers from their old man's fridge or a little bit of liquor, pour it in a solo cup and whatever. But it really wasn't that bad. But I definitely realized then that, and looking back on it, that I always leaned more towards the alcohol. While they were rolling up blunts or joints or whatever the hell we were smoking, you know, I always was sitting there cracking a beer. And then after that, I was cracking a beer. And then after that, I was cracking a beer. Even when they were, like, sitting there wanting to, you know, we all be so stoned out of our mind, they wanted to eat, I kept wanting to drink. Because I, you know, I hate when my heart races really fast. So I was like, okay, if I keep drinking enough, it's going, you know, it's depressing. It's going to slow my heart down. And so, but it, it wasn't a problem, again, because I was a big athlete. So I knew that I had to, like, maintain this balance. So, you know, high school goes on. But towards the end of high school, I kind of had drained myself. You know, I was doing travel sports with uh, high school in general and it kind of just drained me I was definitely way more into let's see how many times I can get laid on the weekend and how much I can drink and then we'll go back to being that good high schooler during the week 
So, um, you know, junior, senior year, I really fell off. I still, you know, did what I was supposed to do, but I really, you know, it became more progressive. Every weekend we were drinking a little bit more. Every weekend we were trying something new that we hadn't done before. Every weekend we were, you know, the, for the only objective was to find that older brother, that older sister, that uncle, that cousin, whatever they were, that would buy the alcohol. And then it was trying to find a basement you could get shit-faced in. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was always the basement. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, there was definitely an underlying issue leaving high school. It was there. Uh, at the time, couldn't notice it. Because I also, like all addicts, and you know this, uh we rationalize everything away. Yep. So if I had too bad of a night, I would start getting really anxious and be like, oh my God, like what have I done? And then I'm like, but I didn't do this. That other dude did. I didn't do that. They did. So I'm not that bad. Mm-hmm. And I just, it kept going like that. And so then, you know, high school ends. And sadly, I had not done well in high school. I was too worried about girls, sports, and the party scene. I wanted to be cool. I didn't want to be smart. I realized very quickly that sucked because, you know, everyone, we all graduated high school, went to Beach Week. That was cool, whatever. And then it was summertime. And then that summer, I mean, was the quickest summer of my life because then before you knew it, everyone was leaving for their first year of college. And I realized very quick, it wasn't really fun anymore because I was sitting at home with mom and dad still while all my friends were going off to their first year of college. So I uh, enrolled at Virginia Western because I was like, I'm not staying here anymore. I'm going to do whatever I can in my power to get the fuck out of here. I, you know, really, really put my nose, head, whatever it is to the grindstone and worked really hard. Uh, my parents said they would pay for college as long as I kept good grades. And they're like, in the moment you stop doing that, you're going to work. And if you want to go to school, you can. Um, but you're paying for it. So I made damn sure I got my work done. Every day I would, you know, go to Western, do my classes, come home, do the homework, study, whatever it was. But then there was nothing to do. Uh, so, because everyone was gone. And so I kind of had to switch friend groups again. So, you know, I, I found friends that I did hang out with in high school, but not as much while I drifted closer to them, uh, which is not a bad thing to any of them, because ultimately this is my problem mm-hmm. and, you know, my story of it. But they were kind of in the same boat. They were going to Western, too, and we all were, like, sitting there, like, what do we do? So we did what we had been doing. We, you know, would all go to Western, do all that, and then we had this store that would sell alcohol to us. And so we'd go there and buy a 30 rack pretty much every single night. And uh, we would go out to the Roanoke River, we'd fish till about, I don't know, 10 to 11 o'clock, and then we'd go back to somebody's house and proceed to try to get as shit-faced as we possibly could. I mean, you know Bud Ice, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> Dear Lord, I could have been sponsored by them out <laughs> high school. Uh, so, uh, you know, we drank and drank and drank and drank, and I realized, you know, again, this is all looking back, because hindsight is twenty twenty. It was a very big growing problem. Because it just kept getting worse. It, it was never enough. We had to find, you know, more and more and more. You know, fast forward a year, I still maintained great grades. You know, I left Western with almost a 4.0. 
because like I said, I knew damn well I was not spending another year. I applied to Virginia Tech and Radford University. I wanted to go to Virginia Tech, I thought, because my father had gone there. So I was like, I'm going to follow in his footsteps. Um, And at the time, I had a girlfriend who was going there. So I'm like, man, that's killing two birds with one stone. Even though I had gone up there multiple times and, you know, hung out and partied with her and stuff, and I didn't really like the vibe, I still was like, that's what I'm going to do. Well, they wanted me to stay at Western for one more year and take this math class. I didn't want to do that. So I went to Radford. And I majored in criminal justice with the political science minor and that's usually where everyone laughs because they're like criminal justice why the hell are you on this um no i don't want to be a cop (laughs) Uh, radford was radford uh from the get-go i mean the night i moved in because i didn't have to go to a dorm uh i moved into a house with two other guys the night i moved in i had gotten a bottle of jack daniels And at the time, it was a fifth, and that was, you know, a ton for me there. And a buddy came over, and we proceeded to kill it. And from then, man, it was off to the races. And so I still maintained good grades for the first two years, uh, drinking, partying, doing what I got introduced to cocaine there, Um, still smoking every now and then. I kind of drifted away from weed, but cocaine definitely had drifted towards really enjoyed doing that and I tried you know a couple other things but it was really alcohol and cocaine um and so then I got this girlfriend I broke up with the other one got this new one and she was you know awesome I mean I had found it I thought she was everything I wanted and dude I was an asshole you know back in high school and early into college with the whole girl thing I did not care and she kind of like flipped this switch in me where all I wanted to do was hang out with her and be around her and my drinking kind of calmed down a little bit because when she first met me I mean I had been on this just binge because I broke up with my ex-girlfriend who I also thought was you know going to be you know my wife and whatever but she was it I thought you know, we had an amazing relationship for three and a half years, three years, something like that. And it kind of calmed down. There were definitely periods throughout the relationship where I would go, would drink heavier and uh, party more. But for the most part, it was pretty calm. But towards the end of the relationship, uh, like most relationships, when it's coming to an end, we started running into issues. Of course, I had made mistakes. She had made mistakes. Um, it wasn't going well. Well, that's when my anxiety kicked in really bad with the stress of college, the job, what I'm going to do with my life. Because, of course, when you're in college, all anyone wants to know is what you're going to do after college. You, nobody can ever talk about the fucking weather or something simple when you're in college. <laughs> um, so anxiety came back with a vengeance. So I, you know, did what I thought was right at the time. And I turned to the bottle and I, you know, it it was going downhill fast too. It wasn't this gradual, I turned to the bottle and it took months and months and months. No, it, it was pretty damn quick. I, you know, was drinking pretty heavy. I mean, it was to the point where I was waking up, drinking, going to class, coming home, drinking the whole nine And then my nightmare came true. We ended it. And I, you know, went off the fucking hinges. I didn't stay sober my entire last year of college. I mean, it had progressed so bad from there that I went 
it was I would wake up with withdrawals, you know, shaking, sweating, vomiting, and I would... You know, if I had a 9 a.m. class, I was up at 6.30 drinking until that 9 a.m. class. And then I was making a drink for that 9 a.m. class and making a drink for, like, the walk home. And then coming home and making a drink in between classes and then going back to class with a drink. I mean, I was constantly drinking. And it was liquor. It wasn't, you know, I was pouring beer in, like, a little shaker cup where nobody could see it. It was liquor. You know, my friends started noticing because, I mean, it was apparent. I mean, I was passing out at seven eight o'clock every night because i was already shit-faced because i had been drinking since six in the morning every day and they noticed when i wasn't drinking the shakes and the panic and the sweating you know it would be 50 degrees outside and i would be pouring sweat like it was 90 and sunny you know i somehow managed to pass all my classes for that last semester uh that i lived up in radford and i went home well when i went home my parents saw me obviously and they were like oh my god you're a wreck because I'd been doing, you know, I looked awful. I'd gained a ton of weight. My face was flush with, you know, because of the water retention. I, you know, was smoking cigarettes. I'd been, I'd picked that habit up along the way. Just awful. So they were like, fine, you know, because I came home to live with them um, for the last year of college because it didn't make sense because of the classes I had to take to sign a whole year, another year lease. It was just going to be the cost, you know, it wasn't right. So came home and they were like, you're going to get a job and you're going to get your ass in shape again. So that's what I did over the summer. I got a job, a great job, actually. And I worked out and barely drank. And I was like, man, I got this under control. Like, this is awesome. And, you know, like I said, lost weight. Uh, I felt better, looked better for sure. I went and did another semester at Radford um, because I had that one whole year left and then came into my last uh, semester and it was one class. This is where, you know, I take a turn for the worst. I had started drinking again, but I still thought I was managing it all right. And then it just got progressively worse, progressively worse, progressively worse. I didn't do anything about it. I just kept, I kept rationalizing everything away. I wasn't that bad. I wasn't this bad. Yeah, I might be drinking all day, but I'm still making good grades while my friends over here are sober. They're like failing tests and stuff. This is what I thought. I had that one class and it was one night a week and it was on a Monday and it was late. Uh, And then I had the rest of the week free. So what I did was I tried, you know, at this point I was trying to get a job again. I ended up getting the job, which was very short lived. I just, I don't know what clicked, but I just started being panicked all the time. It didn't matter what it was. If I woke up and my shorts weren't clean or I didn't get a good night's sleep or I went to bed too late or woke up too early or what a name it. It was the smallest, most minute things drove me absolutely insane. So I started drinking. And when I mean drinking, I mean really drinking. It, you know, started off with probably uh, half a fifth a day and then just got progressively worse till I was drinking a liter and a half a day every single day. When that happened, obviously, like I said, things went downhill very fast. Uh, I've maintained that job for a little bit, but I say maintained. It was because of the job I was working, I had to get up pretty early in the morning, anywhere from, 
you know, four, four thirty or five in the morning. You know, let's say I had to be at work at five thirty. I was up at four in the morning trying to get as absolutely drunk as I possibly could. Mind you, I had to drive there, but I was trying to get as drunk as I could before I had to show up. And we did a lot of traveling with that job, so I would get as drunk as I possibly could, somehow make it to work, and I would pack liquor drinks all day for that job. I know one little story. I had gotten so drunk that I showed up, drank that liquor drink I had for the day, and it wasn't even nine in the morning yet and we stopped at a gas station and I took my bottle inside and the guy I was with he stayed out in the van and I actually bought a beer and like a I don't even know what it was it wasn't a 40 but and I poured it into the bottle just so I could have that because it it was so bad that I knew if I didn't have it, I was either going to start having withdrawals or I was going to get anxious and start having panic attacks. And I was basically useless. I mean, if I would try to get the job done as fast as I possibly could, and then I would find the nearest couch or whatever it was that wherever we were, and I would fall asleep, pass out because I was drunk. And then they wake me up and I'd be still drunk, half hungover until I got home. And so this went on for a couple of weeks. They finally let me go because they figured out that I was just wasted. So let go, not doing that great in this one class that I had where the teaser was easy too. So again, you know, I'm waking up at five in the morning, even without the job and just getting absolutely hammered all day long. And it was to the point where, you know, I'm hiding alcohol Um, because I'm with my parents and they knew something was wrong. So I'm hiding it everywhere. They're finding it, throwing it out. I'm going and buying more. They're, you know, finding it. And it got to the point where I also was, if I had half a liter, I would go out and buy a whole nother liter just because I knew I was going to run out and I needed more. And then I would, with that, I'd also drink my stash during the day and then drink with my parents that night, you know, in my eyes, I'm like, okay, they're, they're not going to find out. There's no way they can find out because it looks like no liquor was gone for their, you know, supply, um, which they're not alcoholics. So they could tell, and I was drinking so much they could, they knew, and they were, it got to the point where they were, they started hiding it. And I mean, I was ripping the house apart trying to find this. And so, like I said, it kept getting worse and worse and worse. I basically hid myself downstairs in our basement and would either be drunk as shit all day or asleep because I had been so drunk. So this kind of is where the turning point happens to like the start of my recovery story. The night that that really happened, because again, you know, my parents tried everything. They were sending me to the doctor. I'd been prescribed benzos to try to get off of it because I was, I kept drinking because I was terrified because my withdrawals would be so bad if I, I could barely go eight hours without drinking or I would get terrible withdrawals, like not even be able to walk down the stairs without holding onto the wall. So I wanted to try, you know, I kept telling myself, I'm never going to go to rehab. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'm going to, you know, fix this myself. So we, I went to the doctor multiple times. They prescribed me benzos uh, to try to, you know, help me wean off alcohol. They, you know, at one point the doctor said, cause I told him how much I was drinking. He's like, you can't just stop or you will go like have a massive seizure. So I'm trying to wean myself off. And basically my approach to weaning myself off was pretty much drinking the same with benzos. So we, you know, 
if you're an addict, you know exactly how that went. It just made it 10 times worse. And I got 10 times more drunk. And again, drinking a liter and a half a day, I was, I was drunk enough anyways. It came to a Monday night. It was the night for my class. And of course, I'm at this point, I don't go anywhere unless I have a drink. And I'm already drunk when I'm doing this. So I go to class, get done. The professor pulls me aside and he's like, you're drunk. And he's like, I know you're drunk. He's like, I'm not letting you drive home. He's like, um, you know, I'm going to stay with you. He was a great professor. Really, he tried everything he could. And I'm like, whatever. So he made me call my parents. They had to come pick me up, drive my car home. And we got there and I just kind of broke down. And I was like, I have a problem. I was like, I know I have a problem. You know, they're like, you need help, and we don't think we can, uh, we think you're past the point of no return here uh, in terms of them helping me and me trying to do it on my own at home. And I kind of was like, yeah, I am. And I barely remember this conversation either because I was that drunk. And But I, I said, I need help. So the next day, my father calls Mount Regis and then tells me to call them to get a date set for me to go in. And they had set it to where I had a week before I went in. So, of course, me being an alcoholic, I'm like, fine, I'm going to go get sober, but I'm going to get as shit faced as I possibly can before that. And I think right then, that week, I was up to almost two. There were a couple of days where I was almost drinking two liters a day. Because I'm like, I'm going out with a fucking bang here. (laughs) And, you know, I feel so... This will be one of my amends is obviously to my parents because they knew, but they knew I was so sick that there was... It was... At this point, it was maintaining. It wasn't even trying to get better. I was just maintaining until I could get some real professional help. Day comes, uh, of course, in old-fashioned, I guess, I... Got as drunk as I possibly could, went into Mount Regis, um, did, you know, all the paperwork, whatever. And so I sat there for the first day and I was like, you know what? And going into Mount Regis, I told myself, I was like, okay, I'm going to go there. I'm going to do the 28 day program and I'm going to learn how to manage my drinking. I had not given it up yet in my head. I was going to go and try to manage this. Next day, I wake up. And I wake up with the most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my stomach. And at first I thought it was heartburn and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And of course I'm already withdrawing at this point because I've gone way past my limit of hours uh, where I hadn't been drinking. So I'm profusely sweating, I'm shaking. So I managed to get out of bed, throw on Uh, the clothes I had and walked down to the nurse's station again barely being able to even get down there and I'm looking at her I'm like look you need to give me something for this heartburn some something I'm like I don't know what it is but uh, it gets getting worse and I'm I'm like bent over the desk pretty much and of course she's like uh you don't look great I basically was like I'm not and kind of collapsed. Uh, this is what they told me because I, I, I was in so much pain that it starts going fuzzy at this point. So I know they brought me in the back and then the ambulance comes. At this point, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, I'm at like a fucking 20 on pain. So I, I remember getting rolled out to the ambulance and then I just pass out. 
And that was the first time I was like, wow, you can actually, like looking back on it, I was like, I blacked out from pain because I was in that much pain. So then this is kind of where it all goes to a blur and everything I say in the next couple minutes will be from things I've heard because I don't remember any of it. So apparently I go to the hospital, they check me in, immediately find out that I am having severe alcohol withdrawals coupled with uh, severe pancreatitis. And so they put me in the, on a whatever floor it was and immediately had to put me up in the ICU because they could not give me enough morphine legally and enough Ativan legally on the floor I was. They could only legally do it in the ICU on that ICU level. So I was moved into the ICU and for a week straight... I was, you know, just completely out of it. I, I, I don't know when I was awake, when I was asleep. I was hallucinating really bad. Um, you know from hearing all the funny stories I've shared about the hallucinations. You know, I thought there were bugs cr- crawling on the wall. There was a stuffed yellow pony on <laughs> <of> my bed. <laughs> um I thought I teleported at one point. Uh, They almost had to vent me uh, because I kept ripping out all my IVs. Uh, They had to put a catheter in. Um, And the reason they were doing it, and again, I'm being pumped full of medicine this entire time uh, because they told my uh, parents the first three days were critical because the doctor said if the medicine hadn't, if it didn't take, that I was at a very high risk of having a massive seizure and dying. So, you know, I was definitely knocking on death's door there for the first three days. And then, you know, the next three to four, I was just in a complete and utter, I mean, it was like purgatory. I didn't know anything. I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to drink, one, because of the pancreatitis and my withdrawals were so so bad. I was licking these stupid ass lemon, like, swabs and I think like they were giving me chicken broth just to give me some sort of you know protein sustenance whatever and so finally after a week of being in the ICU they discharged me and my dad said even after that he was driving me back to Mount Regis and he was like I basically had to carry you into the place because I was just you know I'd been on so many drugs that they, and I was just, my body was shot from what it had gone through that I was still out of it. And so then, you know, I kind of walked around Mount Regis, apparently, again, I don't remember this, uh, for the next two to three days, slept a ton, slept a ton in the hospital. And then I kind of, finally, that Ativan fog that we all talk about in early recovery, especially for people who are detoxing off alcohol and benzos, got lifted and I kind of, I stood, my appetite came back with a vengeance too, because I've been going months and months and months with going three days without eating because I was drinking all my calories. And, you know, then I just kind of started going through the program and, you know, we're here now. That's a pretty intense story for sure. So when you left treatment, what did you do after that? Did you go back home? Yeah, uh, I stayed in Mount Regis for 31 or 32 days, I think, in total. Um, After that, I went back home for a couple weeks. 
uh, just to kind of readjust myself. They wanted me to go into an Oxford house. I didn't get into the one initially that I wanted to go to. So I went back home and I had been enrolled in IOP there. So I started IOP, also, you know, still living with my parents. Then a couple weeks go by, close to a month probably actually goes by. And I've been hanging out at the Oxford House where a bunch of my friends that I met in uh, Mount Regis were now living. And so they, you know, I was over there pretty much every night. So they were like, we're going to give you an interview. Um, Now I live in the Oxford House in Salem and I finished up IOP actually last week. And um, I think it's 92 days today. Well, congratulations, man. That's good shit. First 90 days are yeah, rough. Yeah, <laughs> they were in my experience as well. And uh, when you talked about the anxiety of, you know, being somewhere new and being in classes and stuff like that, I can really relate to that. Like my use didn't start until after high school, but because um, I grew up really sheltered. But when I was when I left, I also went to Radford and um, I moved in with two of my really close friends and we were in a dorm, but our sweet mate was 21. I don't know why somebody that old was still living in a dorm, right. but we were also right across the street from the 7-Eleven. So it wasn't like alcohol was difficult to get a hold of. And uh, But that was when all sorts of use started for me. That's when I started experimenting with everything. And it was what made me feel comfortable enough to like step out of my little bubble of my two best friends from back home in our little dorm room. I was like branching out more. And because I was experiencing or experimenting with different stuff, I felt like comfortable enough to go and try and meet people who were also doing that kind of thing. Right. And then I started meeting dealers and then I started meeting people who had different drugs. And then, you know, I remember this one girl that we hung out with had injured her knee or had knee surgery or something. And we were over at her dorm and I was like, do you have any ibuprofen? I got a headache. And she's like, no, but I got these Laura tabs. And I was like, <laughs> cool. You're like same thing. Yeah, exactly. And then, she's like, I'm not going to take them. You can have them. And so I ended up taking a full script of Laura tabs back to my dorm and they were gone in like five days, Right. you know, and it, and I was going to class on them all the time. And so like, I can really relate to that because I had gotten to a point in my use pretty early on in using that, like I couldn't do anything without something. And like, I leaned really heavy into weed. I smoked a lot, a lot of weed and I couldn't do anything without smoking. Right. And like all of my friends can attest to that. And even my friends that were smoking, it was getting annoying to them that it was like, no, we got to stop. I got to do this first before we can do anything. And so I know that in my story, I can really relate to a lot of that because it's like, once you get that, that taste, that's what they say in 12, in 12 steps, right? Um, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. So like once, once you get that first one, it's like, all right, I got to keep going now and keep going. And, um, I did a lot of that. And then once it had gotten to the point where it was uncontrollable, unmanageable, I was, um, picking up a 12 rack, like on my lunch break and killing a few of them and then finishing my shift and then going home and killing the rest of it. And normally I had something else at home as well. And like it had, it had gotten so bad that my, my wife was, she knew I was in the shed because that's where I went. Right. You know, um, you talked about your basement. Yeah. My shed was your basement. Right. And uh, she would go out there 
while I was at work and like search it for stuff because she because she had no trust in me you know mm-hmm. and that's completely understandable but it had gotten to that point and anytime she found anything she wouldn't tell me she would just take it and so then I would spend time when I got home just freaking out trying to find whatever it was I was hiding back there and I remember there was a summer when I was in Radford I was living up there um, and this is like I had gone to Radford and then dropped out and mm-hmm. then I went back a couple years later to try and finish my degree. And uh, I was living up there with my now wife. She's my girlfriend at the time. And um, she worked a lot. So she was gone most of the time. And all I had was, you know, school. And then during the summer, I worked and I had gotten into such a routine of drinking and drug using while in classes that once the classes ended that just poured over into work so you were talking about you know like going to the gas station and like pouring a beer in your bottle like i was doing shit like that too it's right. and i was working 10 hour shifts yeah. so i was you know i'd i'd run to the store the night before pick up all my shit for the next day at work and then end up taking it with me have shit in my lunchbox have my bowl in my car and all that shit and then you know i would I would go through my shift, take my break, run out to the car, not take my break at the you know smoking block where everybody does. I'm like sitting in my car hiding, and I always parked the farthest away from the building as I could so I could sit in my car and not be seen. You know, it's it's kind of crazy the links that you'll go to achieve what you feel like you have to have. Oh, it's absolutely man. I I couldn't agree more because you're right. It's insane. Looking back on it, I'm like you know. Wow, I was a dumbass. And, you know, if I put half the energy I put in to, you know, getting alcohol or whatever it was, or like you said, hiding it, basically planning my whole day around it, I mean, good Lord, I could have done a ton. One of the things that I've experienced throughout my recovery is seeing that regret and seeing that all of that stuff in retrospect. And, in all honesty, it's made recovery more difficult if for me anyways, because, you know, all that time we had we had substance to lean on whenever we had anxiety or depression or whatever negative feeling we had. That's what we used to to cope with it. And now that we have to cope with things in a healthy manner. It not only is that difficult, but then personally, I get anxiety and depression from thinking about all of the things I did when I was using. Like I sit at home and I'm sitting there like I start thinking about if I'm like if I'm thinking about stuff like that, I'm like, damn, I did this. I hurt this person. I messed this up. I didn't get there when I should have been. And then I start like feeling panic rise up the same kind of panic I would use to subside. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like a double edged sword where you have to learn to deal with things healthily. But in the process of learning to do that, you end up with those negative emotions that you don't know how to process. Right. You're definitely right there. I think that one of my big struggles here in early recovery is that is because for so long we did use to cope or suppress those emotions then now we're kind of having to do it on our own and definitely early especially in rehab and the first week or so out of it one of the big things was trying to deal with that 
and those emotions and how to deal with that raw emotion without running to, you know, your drug of choice, whatever it may be. And I do, I get, you know, I was actually talking to one of my uh, roommates who's in recovery and I asked him last night, I was like, do you ever, you know, start thinking about something in your, I guess, quote unquote, prior life and you're using life and you just start thinking about it and thinking about it and all of a sudden you like shudder with just like disappointment and anger and frustration and sadness and every and he's like yeah man he's like I I was like I knew you would I'm like but I've been having that lately where I'll kind of catch myself my mind wandering and then it'll kind of revert back to one of those scenarios I start I let it kind of run down that rabbit hole and then I have to kind of almost snap out and like get back into reality and when I have you know that snap happens I'm kind of like I even shudder sometimes like my actual body like I shake and I'm like oh my god like wow one thing I love about being in recovery now is I'm learning I'm not great at it yet but I'm learning how to deal with all that raw emotion and that feeling and kind of sitting just sitting in it Mm -hmm. instead of because I, I noticed that my anxiety kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse as I kept using and using and using and those panic attacks and stuff became more frequent till they were pretty much a guaranteed every morning thing because I was with drinking I was just compounding that anxiety on top and those you know feelings on top of each other until it was this huge fucking rocket just ready to go. Now I really can actually just sit in it and be like, you know what? I'm nervous today or I'm sad today or, uh, you know, I got a lot of stuff and I'm kind of nervous about that. But I I sit in it now and I really kind of focus and, you know, how we learned in rehab, what can you really do about it? That's something I've really implied in my daily life now is if something's really bothering me, I kind of have to pull myself out of it and be like, what can I do right now to fix it? And if there's nothing, then I just have to accept there's nothing I can do. And if there is, I go about it in a more appropriate manner than, all right, I know what to do. Let me go get shit faced and then I'll go do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one of, you know, the great things right now that recovery is really giving me is being able to work through those, you know, their their daily problems. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, people with this disease, those daily problems sometimes can, that other people without it just kind of brush off. But we use that as an entire day to get absolutely fucking throttled mm-hmm. over it yeah it's a, it's an excuse and and like you said sitting sitting in it now even though that's the difficult part it's what allows it to not compound into that rocket that you talked about and i've seen that in my own recovery as well like i would you know instead of dealing with an emotion use about it and then by the time i couldn't use about it anymore it's such a huge deal that I definitely can't handle it and everything blows up in my face no matter what the situation was and I've noticed that same thing now that like I just I I implement something similar where it's like what can I do about it is there anything I can do about it is there is this one of those things that we just have no control over you know because that's one of the things that that really stuck with me in treatment was like you can't control everything. Life is on life's terms. You have to deal with it like everyone else in the world. You have to be able to handle the fact that you cannot control every situation. And with using, I felt like I could. Even though I wasn't, that was what I could control. And so instead of dealing with the thing 
that I had no control over, I would deal with something I had control over until I didn't care about the thing I didn't have control over. Right. And I think that's definitely where using comes in is because I'm not trying to speak for everyone, but it definitely seems that all of us who have this disease and who are in recovery, we're all control freaks. And so that really is a big reason I think you know, definitely was a reason that I use and probably many people can relate to this and their using experience is like you said, it would get to this huge point that you couldn't control it, but you can control your using. So you go use because that gave you that feeling of being in control. Being able to deal with those, those situations, even though that's the hard part and you're filled with regret and frustration that you couldn't do it before, you know, however you feel about it, there are so many positives that come out of it that we never noticed we were missing before. My grandmother turned 90 this weekend, and I was able to celebrate that with her without feeling the need to have a buzz. Like, I used to bring alcohol with me to my mom's house every time I went because I felt like I needed it to deal with my family. Mm -hmm. When in all reality, my family wasn't bad. It was me dealing with me. And I projected it onto everyone around me. Like I need, I need this to deal with that. Or I need this to deal with that. When in all reality, it was, I need this to deal with me. And now that I'm focusing on dealing with me, I can enjoy those things that I used to think I didn't enjoy. And like spending that time with my grandmother, we talked about my recovery, like, and she told me she was proud of me. And like that, cause I come from a long line of alcoholics right. and drug users and hearing somebody who had lived through all of that, especially lived such a long and full life mm -hmm. to tell me that she was proud of me for what I was doing. That was one of those rewards from all of those times that, I fucked up all of those times that I felt the need to use all of those times that I let it get in front of something that I cared about. That was one of those rewards that made me realize why I'm doing this in the first place. Right. Of course. I guess, you know, one last thing I'd like to say, especially to people, if they're using right now or are in recovery, you know, I can't speak too much because I still am in early recovery, but I'm, I'm doing it and I'm living it every day is, you know, one definitely don't, give up on it you know don't think that even if you are in recovery if you relapse or um, if you're thinking about trying to get sober you know really definitely give it a shot we all fall and we're all going to fall down this lifestyle and the programs that are offered it's a, a community of second chances i wouldn't trade even a bad day now for a million of those using days because yeah. my bad days are still better than my, you know, good days. Using. Yeah. yeah. And I agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly. And if you are in a place where you feel stuck, um, you feel alone, find a 12 step meeting. They're Absolutely. easy to find online. Just Google it. Um, whichever fellowship you feel like you belong to or would belong to, you'll find a meeting near you and go because you are not alone in being alone. Yeah. Those meetings work. It's a great program to be a part of. And it's part of, um, you know, living that recovery every day, like you said. Definitely. You know? And, you know, it, it's scary your first time going in there. I'm not going to lie, but I tell everyone now, even especially the people who aren't in recovery, 
the people in recovery are the nicest people and the most welcoming and warm-hearted people I have ever met in my entire life. For the people who are listening, if they're scared or you don't think, you know, you're going to be judged or not fit it, no. It is nothing like that. They will welcome you with open arms if you're high as shit or if you're sober as a judge. I mean, it doesn't matter. So I definitely agree with you. Find a 12-step wherever you are, whatever time it is, whatever it looks like, and go and just see what they have to offer because it will change your life. It changed mine and saved it. Yeah, changed me too, for sure. Well, I appreciate you sitting down with me. Yeah, man. um, Listeners, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Thanks to Heroes Media Group for helping us out, getting this out to you guys. And uh, hopefully we'll be shouting back at you guys in a couple weeks.